All right. So like Juliana said, my name is Drew. I am the lead pastor of Redemption Church, and I always love to be with you guys here at Salt St. Paul. I love worshiping with you. I love the energy that you have, the passion that you have for Jesus. So it's exciting for me to open up God's word with you tonight. And we are talking tonight about the resurrection. Now, so basically what I want to say is happy Easter. Here we go. And essentially, I remember for the first time diving into the different arguments about and implications of the resurrection when I was about your age, somewhere on my freshman or sophomore year of college. And I remember at the same time I was reading through the New Testament, I was also taking a Philosophy 101 class. And I came across Pascal's wager in Philosophy 101. And I remember learning that this philosopher named Blaise Pascal said, basically, you should take your chances on Christianity. Because if you believe in things like the resurrection and it ends up being true, then you go to heaven. But if it's not true, then you end up where everyone else ends up, six feet under. So why not just believe? But I was learning that in Philosophy 101 at the same time I was reading the New Testament, and I came across what the Apostle Paul says there. Apostle Paul, pretty big deal. The city that we're sitting in right now, named after him. Think about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 21, this is what the Apostle Paul says about the resurrection. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so here's what the Apostle Paul says to Blaise Pascal. He basically says, hold up, buddy. You haven't thought this through far enough. He says, listen, I have given my entire being to this. This is not just an intellectual exercise. I have given my whole soul to Jesus. I have taken my hope out of this world. I have placed my hope on Jesus. If he did not raise from the dead, I am wasting my life and you should pity me. Here's what I want you to consider tonight. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is either your greatest hope or it's nothing. It can't be anything in between. And so here's what we're going to see in John chapters 20 and 21. We are going to see that Jesus rose from death to give us life. And I'm going to give you three reasons to bank your hope on this, to believe this. The first one is that the resurrection is historically verifiable. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 8 to start. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran 
and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as... Yet they had not understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So here's what's true about this text from a scholarship perspective. Basically, no one believes that Jesus didn't both live and die. It's just a fact of history that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived on the earth and died on the cross. But there are alternative explanations to the reality that he rose from death. And there's two basic theories. They're called the hallucination hypothesis and the swoon theory. So the hallucination hypothesis basically says Jesus didn't rise from death. His disciples hallucinated it. The problem with the hallucination hypothesis is people don't hallucinate in groups. Individuals hallucinate, but groups of 10 or groups of 50 or groups of 500 don't all hallucinate the same thing at the same time. Okay, the second hypothesis is called the swoon theory. And that is that Jesus did not really die on the cross. So the disciples thought that Jesus died. He really wasn't dead. All of the Roman soldiers and the Jews who watched him die thought he died, but he was pretending. He was really good at pretending. And so they took him down off the cross. They put him in the tomb. And in this place where he had just endured the worst form of torture that a human being can possibly endure, he got up, pushed the stone away, and then had the wherewithal to go out to his disciples and be like, I was never dead. All right. I died and I rose. Like, and it's just, you know, he's just making the whole thing up. Now, the problem with that is, had that been true, Jesus would not have been able to convince anybody that he rose from death. Because he would have been in such bad shape. You don't typically think a guy who's like limping around like, oh, what's wrong, Jesus? Oh, I just rose from death. It's a lot of work. It's like, bro, you're bleeding. Like, what? can we help you? Okay, now notice what's true about both of those theories. They both assume that Jesus convinced the apostles that he was alive. Why? 
because they all gave their lives for a risen Christ. Basically, all the scholarship says, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and you have to provide an explanation for the resurrection. Here's what I'm saying. The best explanation is the one that's written here. Let me just give you a few observations and a few reasons that I think that that's true. The first one is, the first person who, according to John, reached the tomb and discovered that Jesus was gone, that Jesus was alive, was Mary Magdalene. In that day and age, a woman's testimony was not admissible in court. She could not be an eyewitness to anything. You had to be a man to be an eyewitness. Why would John write in a society where Mary Magdalene's testimony was not credible that she was the first eyewitness of what he is claiming is the pinnacle event in human history? The only possible explanation I can come up with is that it's true. Okay, here's another interesting tidbit about this text. John includes in the text that he outran Peter to the tomb. These are teenage guys, 17, 18, 19 years old. That's what guys do. Of course, he's got the pen in his hand. He's writing the gospel. Of course, he's going to include the seemingly unnecessary fact that he ran faster than Peter. Guys have been doing this since the beginning of time. Okay, notice what else John recognizes in the text. He realizes that Jesus folded up his face cloth. Okay, you guys have roommates, right? None of your roommates fold their clothes. Like guys or girls, no teenagers, early 20s, nobody folds their clothes. All right? Nobody. And here's what, some of you are so offended right now. Like, all right. But okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Of course a teenage guy is going to remember that a piece of clothing was folded. He's like, huh, I've never seen that before. What in the world? This text does not have the marks of something that is made up. It has the marks of something that is authentic, that is written by a young teenage man who wrote about the life and the death of Jesus, which are both seen to be verifiable historical facts, and then he continues his narrative and continues to write the facts. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus is as credible historically as anything that you can believe. Have you guys ever been to a historically significant place? One of the places that I have visited multiple times is Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And I love standing out in this place in Gettysburg where the Battle of Gettysburg was fought on this place called the Wheat Field. Because one fact about the Wheat Field is 28,000 men 
died in that one place. And then you can walk up the hill from the wheat field and you can stand on the spot where Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address. How do we know that that happened? You can verify it. You can go to the place. You can follow the history. You can listen to the eyewitnesses and it all checks out. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus checks out. It makes sense. It's historically credible. The alternative explanations do not make sense. See, contrary to popular belief, Christianity is not a leap in the dark. It's not blind faith. It's not just follow your emotions and wherever they take you, that's where you go. Christianity is first and foremost based on history. Jesus rose from the dead. And you have absolutely no right to not believe that if you haven't investigated it. Some of you are saying stupid stuff. Like, I don't believe the Bible. And then somebody needs to ask you the question, have you read the whole thing? I've never asked somebody a question like that and had them said, yep, totally. Like, come on, you've read like four tweets. And you're like, I, I dismiss it. I, no, I don't believe that. That's stupid. You guys are crazy. No, you're crazy. You read the Bible. You investigate this for yourself. Because I have, and I'm telling you, it's true. All right, the resurrection is historically verifiable. The second thing, the resurrection is holistically impactful. Okay, I'm not going to read any text on this, but you're going to have to go back and check my work. Okay, Jesus interacts with four different people individually after his resurrection. Okay, he doesn't even actually have to interact with John technically. We saw in this text that John just walks into the tomb and he just believes. And what we see in John is we see that he was an optimist. He's this guy who he didn't even have to see the nail-pierced hands. He didn't have to see the risen Christ. He went to the tomb, the tomb was empty, and he just said, Jesus has to be risen. He just believed, which means that the resurrection is for those of you for whom belief has been easy. Some of you, you feel like second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. I know you came to Christ when you were six. It was the first time your mom shared the gospel with you. You grew up in church, and you always feel like, wait, does my faith really matter? And John is evidence that it does. You don't have a second-class testimony. The resurrection is for people who just believe. But there's also lots of people who aren't like that. Like, for example, just a short time later in this text, we encounter a guy named Thomas, who will forever be known as Doubting Thomas. All the other disciples saw Jesus, they witnessed his resurrection, and they went to Thomas and they said to him, you missed it, Jesus walked through a wall, came into the room, 
showed us his nail-pierced hands, showed us his side, and trust us, he's alive. You got to just believe it. And he said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in his side, unless I see it for myself. And here's what Jesus does. He shows up to this skeptical man, and first, he shows him his side, and he graciously shows him his hands. And he looks Thomas in the eye, and he says, don't disbelieve, but believe. And then he rebukes Thomas, right? That's what Jesus does. Sometimes he comforts you, and sometimes he convicts you. And he says, it's okay that you needed to see me to believe, but blessed are those who don't see me and yet believe. So the gospel is for believers. For those of us who it's easy for us to believe, we came to Christ at six, and it's for skeptics, those of us that it's hard for us to believe. We have lots of intellectual doubts. We have lots of problems. We wrestle with these things. It's hard for us. And Jesus says to both, my resurrection is for you. But it's not just for skeptics and believers. It's also for outsiders. Mary Magdalene is crushed. When she sees the empty tomb, she doesn't believe like John does. She's crushed. And she goes back to the tomb another time, and she's sitting there, and she's weeping. And she's in such agony and distress that Jesus shows up to her, and she thinks that he's a gardener. And she's like, you're a gardener. People are like, how do, she, how do they think that she's a gardener? And it's like, when you have tons of tears in your eyes and you're super weepy and sad, you don't know who somebody is. And Jesus gently says to Mary, he says, we have the same father. See, Mary's biggest fear was that she didn't fit. And Jesus spent three years teaching her that she fit with him, that she was an insider to him, that he loved her just as she was. It was the first time that she's been accepted in her life. And so when Jesus dies and seemingly disappears, she loses hope. And Jesus says to her, no, my resurrection is for you. You are in. You're my sister. You are a child of God. But the gospel isn't just for skeptics and believers and outsiders. The resurrection is also for failures. In John chapter 21, we see Jesus interacting with Peter for the second time. The first time... Jesus shows up to Peter, Peter puts his hand in his side, and Peter seemingly just believes. But Peter had denied Jesus three times. He had thought that he was this confident, swashbuckling leader. He gets in, in front of a teenage girl, and she starts asking him is he, if he's a follower of Jesus. And he totally wusses out. And he's like, no, I don't even know the guy. And he feels so ashamed of this that even though he's met the resurrected Jesus and he's interacted him in a group, he goes back to fishing because he thinks he's unworthy now to do any ministry. And Jesus 
calls to him while he's on a fishing boat from the shore. And Peter realizes that Jesus, and in his own Peter, impulsive way, he jumps in the water and swims to the shore, and he goes and sits with Jesus, and Jesus makes him fish. Peter's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm, he's I'm going to eat fish. That's what I do. And he just eats fish with them, and they hang out. And Jesus begins to ask Peter if Peter loves him. And it's not a coincidence that he asks him three times, do you love me, Peter? And Peter three times says, yes, you know that I love you. Yes, you know that I love you. Yes, you know that I love you. Why does he have him do it three times? Because he denied him three times. And Jesus is restoring a failure. Now, why can the same resurrection impact a believer, a skeptic, an outsider, and a failure? Because here's what the resurrection says that no other religion can say and no other philosophy can claim. It is not you go in your own strength and do something great or go believe something. The gospel is that Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself. Jesus has not taught you how to defeat death through a list of commands. He has defeated death on your behalf. He has done it all. That's why on the cross he said, it is finished. Because he knew that his glorious resurrection was coming. And death would be defeated. Guys, the story doesn't stop there with those four individuals. But it has trickled down through the centuries, through literally thousands of years, and into this room. And part of the reason I love to come here is I remember back in 2020, right after George Floyd's gruesome death in our city, and I remember interacting with Tony about that. And we would walk and we would talk and we would process and we would pray. And we asked God, we begged God to transform the city. We asked him that our church would become more diverse, that he would impact more people. And we said, listen, we're not going to try to do this in our own strength or by our own power, but we are going to believe that the resurrected Christ changes lives, and we're going to stick to this message. And do you know what's happened? A diversity of lives in this room have been changed. If you are outside of the Christian faith, one of the best ways for you to explore if Jesus Christ is in fact risen is to hear the stories in this room. Go to connection group. Come to the next baptism service that we have at our church. And realize that not every person in this room is the same. You can stand back and you can look at it and you can think, Maybe you're thinking everybody in this room grew up going to church. Everybody in this room has an intact family. Everybody in this room had an easy time believing. 
No one in this room has ever suffered any kind of deep tragedy that has left them reeling and questioning God. And what you'll find is that there is somebody who is not just like you because you're a one of a kind, but is very similar to you. And the only difference is that they have come face to face with the resurrected Christ and he has changed their life. And that message does not stop with any individual in this room. The reason that we keep meeting week after week is because we want more of you to meet him. And we exist not to say, look at us, we have all the answers, but to say, meet King Jesus. He has what you need. And although you likely will not see him physically, you will encounter him spiritually in the deepest part of your being. Maybe even as I'm talking right now, you're feeling this strange thing happening inside of you. Your unbelief is starting to melt away. Your heart of stone is becoming soft. Maybe you're even becoming emotional right now. And I'm saying to you, don't ignore that. Do you know why? Because Jesus is alive. And he's here. And he is our hope. Okay, historically verifiable, holistically impactful. And the last one is that the resurrection is per- personally evocative. That is, it evokes a response. You cannot leave tonight and just say, uh, I don't know. I'll put that off till later. You have to either bow your knee to King Jesus and give your life to him or become like Richard Dawkins and just oppose it with your whole life. It's that important. Okay, look what John says. Verses 30 through 31 of John 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So here's John. He spent three years on a camping trip with Jesus. He saw him live. He testifies the dude never sinned. There was never deceit found in his mouth. He did everything well. He witnessed his miracles. He witnessed his compassion. And he says, all I saw was perfection. Then he saw Jesus die. He saw him crucified. He testifies elsewhere that he knows that he was dead. And then witnessed his resurrection. He's telling us here, this is the cliff notes. Like, I didn't include everything. I saw way more than I could record here. But I wrote down what I wrote down in the Gospel of John, my eyewitness testimony, so that you plural, would believe. Listen, these things are written down so that you would believe. 
God has not left himself without a witness in the world. Think about this. This was written over 2,000 years ago. And you can read it. And you can understand it. And you can weigh for yourself whether or not Jesus is who he said he is. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about this pursuit in his famous book, Mere Christianity. Now, the interesting thing about Mere Christianity is it started off as radio broadcasts during World War II. So there were literally bombs falling on Britain. And C.S. Lewis is first speaking this and then putting it in a book because people were at a time of crisis. And he says to them, listen, you have to decide about Jesus. And here's what he writes. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You must make a decision about Jesus. Did Jesus pretend to be dead and convince his disciples that he had risen from death and therefore play the biggest prank in the history of the world? Or did he die and rise from death proving that he is who he said he is? Your Lord, your God. Here's the cost of saying that he's your Lord and God. Hands off your life, it's not yours anymore, it's his. You're either 100% in or you're 100% out. He's either your Lord or you're your Lord. That's the cost. Just admit to yourself that that's the real reason you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. It's not about the claims. It's not intellectual. It's you want your life in your own hands. But let me say this to you. It won't work when tragedy strikes. It won't work when life happens. And don't you dare say, I don't want Jesus, I don't believe in him, and then when a loved one of your dies, says they're in a better place. No, you can't say that. You have no foundation to believe that that's true. If you say, Jesus has not risen from the dead, then there is no hope for anyone after death, and so you cannot eat, drink, and be merry, you have to eat, drink, and be completely depressed. 
Because here's the reality, you're going to be six feet under and that's it. You cannot reject these claims and continue to go on your life being happy. You have to be depressed. But if you believe that this is true, then you have every reason to have a gutsy and beautiful hope. It will cost you your life, but the price is worth it because you will have a hope that can get you through anything. Guys, when I was your age, I had not suffered much. I stand here today, not as somebody who is casually saying this, but as someone who has suffered deeply. Let me show you a picture. That's my wife. My hand is the one in front of the camera right there. I'm glad they took a picture of my wife, not me. That little casket, that's my son Jude. That happened five years ago. Why are our hands up? Because Jesus tells me that Jude's body was like a seed that we planted in the ground. He tells me that when he comes back, that little seed will turn into an oak tree. He tells me that when I go to be with him forever, that I won't just be with him. I imagine heaven, I'll walk in. Jesus will give me a great big hug. He'll say, welcome home, Drew. Thanks for trusting me. And then he'll say, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody. And he'll walk my son Jude up. And I'll be like, I knew it was true, but it's actually true. No way. This is awesome. Don't you think like everybody's going to be around 30 in heaven? I don't know. Like, so I'm guessing we'll be like brothers and we'll go play golf together or something. It'd be awesome. Guys, I want you to have that kind of hope. I want you to believe in Jesus because it's true because it changes your life and because it gives you an indestructible hope. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have not left us without witnesses, but you gave us John to write down this eyewitness account of your life, your death, in your resurrection. And Jesus, thank you that you're so compassionate to each of us in our individual lives, whether we're believers tonight or we're outsiders or skeptics or we feel like failures, that you have a word for each of us. And so, Spirit of God, I'm asking that you would minister to each person in this room? Would you be drawing that person who's been resisting you for years, who's, who's angry, 
at you? Would you melt their heart with the beauty of your resurrection, Jesus, that you came not to take our life away or to take our joy away, but to give us an indestructible life by what you've done and the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name.